you have to imagine crazy things in order to take the next steps. It all begins with imagination. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. It's good morning again because I, uh, you know, I can't lie. I can't tell a lie. We are starting. This is our take two. Mm-hmm. You can uh, never have too many mornings. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's very good. Well, at uh, a certain point, you know. Well, there's, you know, uh, there's an important sense in which the the recurrence of the morning is sort of our model of something that always happens, right? The sun always rises ah. in the east, right? It's yeah. always the next morning. Right. Um, and that's, uh, you know, for, for David Hume and other philosophers interested in science, that's sort of the classic question is, what, why do you always think the sun will rise again tomorrow? Ah. And, and, it, yeah. and it turns out that it's actually the answer you always give is because it always happens that way, right? Every, every day I've woken up, the right. sun is always rising. Um, so that that leap is called induction, where you say, because it has always happened that way, uh, it'll happen again that way next time too. And that turns out that that works pretty well for sort of daily life, but it's not very sound in a sort of deeply philosophical or rational way that is just because something has always happens a certain way doesn't mean that's good evidence that it will continue to happen that way past results are no uh indication <laughs> of right. future success <laughs> exactly say on wall yeah. street yeah so this is uh it, it's sort of a, a deep problem because so much of our experience of the world assumes that induction is true and we kind of live our lives that way. But it turns out that once you start poking it in a rigorous kind of way, it becomes quite difficult to justify. Now, would that apply for continuously moving things? Like if you were off the earth, if you could look from outside the earth, mm. you would see that it isn't a matter of the sun always rising. It's oh, a matter right. of the, yeah. the earth always spinning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that might be a good example of why our induction fails sometimes is that from a certain point of view it looks like the sun rises but from another point of view we see that that's actually a completely incorrect <laughs> understanding um, but nonetheless so but then you 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 replace that regularity of the sun rising with the regularity of the earth spinning so then we you sort of convert the statement into something like the earth will continue to spin tomorrow, right? And whether that makes you feel any better about the problem. Oh, well, I, it's, okay. So if, if you put physics into the equation, which maybe they didn't have. Well, they said so they had Newtonian physics. Right. You, and you knew something about momentum mm-hmm. and things like that. You could say more scientifically, you could have a better prediction that, well, the Earth is going to, even if some, if something were to hit the Earth, this is how fast it would take to slow down. Nothing is hitting the Earth, so it will go at least this long, this far, something like that. Mm-hmm. 
but maybe you would replace it then with, well, the sun will always keep shining. But then you could have an equation for that. But ultimately, as we know from our friend Einstein, no, more quantum mechanics perspective, that things could, the, the possibility of something happening may be extremely small, but something completely bizarre could happen. Oh, yeah, that's right. So this is one of the, uh, exactly. So this is one of the strange things that comes about even a little before quantum mechanics is with what we call statistical mechanics today. This is like thermodynamics and molecular motions in, in the late 19th century is this realization that if you accept that the laws of nature can sometimes be statistical, then you get that that, that has to be true, <laughs> except that there are certain things that are overwhelmingly unlikely, but nonetheless will happen somewhere at some time. One of the weird thought experiments for this was thought of by Ludwig uh, Boltzmann, yes. who is one of the founders of, of sort of statistical thermodynamics. The brain. Uh, the brain, yes. I that's right. You've this. heard about it. <laughs> I imagine in our audience, not everyone has heard of it. Okay. It's, but what is it called? Bozeman's Brain? Uh, B Boltzmann's Brain. Boltzmann. Yeah. Boltzmann. Right. And mm -hmm. yeah, his first name? I want to say Ludwig. Ludwig. Okay. Oh, I'd have to check, but I think that's right. Yeah. So his, uh, his claim was that, you know, if the universe is infinite, there's an extremely unlikely chance, but nonetheless non-zero, that somewhere out there, there's an arrangement of matter that just happens to come together that is exactly his brain. <laughs> so <laughs> Boltzmann's brain. Just floating in space. Just floating in space. That's right. And even better, if the universe is infinite, 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 there's an infinite number of Boltzmann's brains floating <laughs> out there in space. And so one of them, one of them could conceivably be, you know, in a Boltzmann, in a Boltzmann body on a planet with atmosphere yep. and so okay. forth thinking. But I, yeah. The, so in other words, there could be a part of, there could be a region of space that's just chock-a-block with Boltzmann's brains. That's right. And you'd have to travel a long way before you found it. And one of the weird things about statistical mechanics and then later quantum mechanics is you can predict numerically like how long you have to wait before you encounter one of those brains or, or how far you would have to go. And that's like sort of a, it would be a good final exam question on your thermodynamics two course <laughs> is uh, uh, how, how long do you need to look before you found, find a Boltzmann's brain? Does that mean if you're traveling or if you're just... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you give some parameters. So you're in your spaceship and you're traveling around and how long until you find one. And, you know, it'll be it'll be some gigantic number, you know, 10 to the 457th years or something. Right. And then the captain will say on screen. On screen. That's right. What is it, Mr. Spock? <laughs> he says it appears to be an Austrian physicist's brain. <laughs> Which I should say would not be the weirdest premise from the original Star Trek. <laughs> what would be the weirdest premise? Well, I don't know. I mean, you remember the episode, you know, because they met, what did they meet? They met Greek gods and uh, right, planet, right. planets of Chicago gangsters and things, right? That's um, right. I never thought about that. So, yes, like those, right, the, the planet where the, uh, the idea that there's a planet that's exactly like Earth, except it's basically an alternate history, right? It's exactly like Earth, except for some reason, isn't there one where the Nazis won or World War II never happened or something like that? 
Something like that. Yeah, I can't remember where the Nazis popped up, but yeah, they're there somewhere. Well, this, yeah, the Chicago gangster is a hilarious one. Mm-hmm. So just like there might be a Boltzmann's brain flying around, there could be an Earth out there. Yeah, and this is, uh, I think in some sense, this is a, a, a consequence of whenever you start using terms like infinity or talking about very large numbers in general, is there are these absurd scenarios that as long as they're physically possible, then in some sense they're mandatory once once the numbers get big enough, if the universe is big enough or old enough, then these things will happen somewhere. And often, you know, often we want to use those as reductio ad absurdum arguments, in which we say that can't be right, right? Your initial your initial premise must be wrong if it allows for this sort of thing. And sometimes that's true, like like the idea that there's a planet of Chicago gangsters, right? Like that just doesn't sit well. I'd say whatever idea you have that allows that is probably wrong. But but then, you know, once quantum mechanics rolls along, it makes absurd claims like solid objects can pass through other solid objects just very, very rarely. But now the weird thing is, is that you can do that, right? Quantum tunneling is happening inside the circuits that are allowing us to Skype right now, right? So, right, just, and again, just to uh, (laughs) clarify, that is that quantum would be a portion of a a piece of an atom, is that right? Or an atom? Well, yeah, subatomic. I mean, in this this particular case, it would be electrons. An electron could, uh, in quantum mechanics tells us, and it's been essentially proven, right, confirmed to an incredibly high degree, that an electron, given a certain amount of time a cert- with, and a certain number of electrons, some of them will spontaneously disappear from one place and appear in another. Right. Yep. That's it. If I fire a beam of electrons at a solid wall, eventually one of them will just blip through it. And it's not because it's breaking through. No, well, this is, yeah, this, this is where language <laughs> kind of starts to fail you because the electron doesn't move from one side of the wall to the other, but rather it sort of ceases to exist in one place and pops into existence on the other side, which seems, right, which seems totally unacceptable. It's the kind of thing that Einstein called spooky. Right? He says, can't be, can't be right. But then some people sat down in the lab and they're like, all right, that, that's a big number, but I can generate a lot of electrons, so let's try it. And now it's totally ordinary. You know, this is what we're tunneling electron microscopes work, for instance. And I've heard, correct me if I'm wrong, but that I think they've gotten to the point where they're able to do this with larger than single quantum. Oh, that's a good question, actually. I I don't know what the, yeah. I don't know how big they've done. I think there's something like, actually something the size of an atom. It's, it's, it's conceivable anyway, right? Because again, this, the, uh, the equation is pretty straightforward. So one of the terms is mass, and you see how a bigger object, it's much, much less likely, but nonetheless still non-zero. So again, a good you know, final exam question is, what's the, what's the likelihood that you will 
quantum tunnel through your chair. <laughs> well, depending on how many donuts I've had. <laughs> well, well, actually, the more donuts you have would increase your mass. So it'd be more it would be less likely that you would go through. So if you're worried about this, okay, you, can, you can eat more. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the weird thing is, is that there's this, uh, you know, no person has ever quantum tunneled through their chair. Right. Right. But we, but I'll write down an equation that tells you the likelihood of that happening and say, you know, that's true. This is the, the odds with which you will zoom through your chair inexplicably, even though we've never seen that happen to a person. And yet, the uh, one thing I've always found amazing in um, the evolution of science, the progression of science, the magical journey of science, is over and over and over again, somebody will discover something bizarre, or, or more likely, they will solve how something, they'll figure out how something works. And almost invariably, that's through a mathematical there's some math that predicts, proves how, or, you know, confirms how that works. The math says, well, if you had this and this and this, this would happen. And then we really see that that is how the universe works. Mm -hmm. A classic example being black holes. Sure. So Einstein's, you know, comes up with his relativity uh, equations. And then he says, okay, well, if space time is a fabric and if mass distorts, that fabric, so to speak, and the bigger the mass, the more it distorts it. Eventually, if something was really big enough, it would pull the mass in so tightly to itself that the entire thing would collapse into a black hole, a singularity, a single point. He thought that was wrong, or he thought that was just weird. Yeah. That's right. Many of the people who who work on relativity early on and discover this, because there's there's a sense in which that that's known as early as 1917, that the equations predict something like that. But everyone rejects it as uh, what, what physicists call a non-physical solution, right? They say, well, I say just because the math shows that might be possible doesn't mean it's actually true. And of course, the expansion of the universe, another thing. Yeah, there's a, that's right. So there's a, I mean, this happens a lot. If you think back to high school algebra, Right. When you solve the quadratic equation, remember the quadratic equation? Well, I remembered enough that I uh, proved many impossible things, That's right. <laughs> including that I would get an A. That's right. So you get you get two answers when you solve the quadratic equation, one positive and one negative. Right. And so if you're if you're solving for a physical thing, you know, the, the motion of a particle or something, you choose one of those answers as true, as physical. And the other as not. Okay. See, so the other one's just a mathematical artifact. The equation happens to generate a positive and a negative answer, but you don't think they're both true. The particle's not going both left and right. There used to be this commercial on TV that <laughs> for something that had an S at the end. It was some kind of food that had an S at the end, and or two S's, whatever. The guy had some acronym which described this food, but it wound up having an extra S. And it was on like, these were construction paper letters for some reason on a board. This is how low tech this commercial was. And he got to the end and he said, and then there's the extra S and that's for salt. And we throw that away. 
(laughs) That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So these physicists are like, well, yeah, we got a negative result. And that's boring. That's uh, sad. (laughs) That's for negativity. And we throw that away. And that's the weird thing is that sometimes you you chuck the weird mathematical artifact and sometimes you say, maybe that's a real thing and we should go look for that. And, and often, you know, that's the, that's the, the line that marks the, the weirdos from the geniuses is you're a weirdo. If you see that weird mathematical artifact and you say, Oh, I think that's real. Let's go look for that. But if you like when Paul Dirac is working on relativistic quantum mechanics and he says, oh, there's this this term that looks like a positively charged electron. It would it would have been totally reasonable for him to just say that's a mathematical artifact. Get rid of it. But instead, people look at it and they say, you know, maybe there is a positively charged electron. And then the positron is discovered later. So knowing when to to embrace the weirdness is really hard. Yeah, I mean, it happens so often, at least from the spectator point of view. Mm-hmm. Are scientists not yet at the point where they would say, oh, I guess, well, they have to know, they have to feel really sure that this equation is the right equation. But at a certain point, there must be, th- like, I don't know, relativity is so well confirmed that there must be weird predictions that, okay, I, th- I think I'm answering my own question in my head, which doesn't help anybody <laughs> else, but but I'm done. See ya. There's, so there's two possibilities. You have, uh, you have a really solid, equ- like Einstein, Einstein's equation, man, that thing has just been proven up the wazoo, continues to be proven, all the weird effects of it. Time slowing down, you know, mass increasing and so forth. And you get this weird result. Well, there's this really here. If this, if you run these numbers through the equation, you get this totally bizarre situation. Mm-hmm. And at that point, they would still have to say, well, maybe the equation is wrong. Is that right? Yep. Well, that is still possible, right? Yeah. Because there's always, you know, there's some other very similar equation that predicts all the things that we've seen so far and then something slightly different that we haven't looked for yet. So this is the problem with or this is the problem that many people voice about things like string theory is the string theorists say look, you know, general relativity is so great <laughs> and so well confirmed that anything we derive from it, we should have confidence in as being true. Then other people say, but you've you've derived 75 different versions of this theory. So which of them is right? Like, well, I don't know. <laughs> they, they, they can't all be right, but nonetheless, they all come from that same source. And, and traditionally, the physicist's answer to that conundrum is, well, let's run an experiment to try and distinguish between those. And the string theorists say, sorry, can't quite do that yet. Because they can't find, we don't have something sensitive enough to see strings? Yeah, that's right. It's, um, we don't have, uh, I mean, d- depending on who you want to blame, either the experimentalists 
don't have a collider big enough to reach the energies where you can distinguish between these, or the theorists haven't been clever enough to articulate an experiment we might be able to do. Now, is it possible, so I was thinking about the brain, the Boltzmann's brain again. Yeah. Is it possible that our existence, this is really out there, mm-hmm. that, you know, our, everything we know, that we are a Boltzmann brain of something else? That like... Oh, yeah, we're, we're a weird copy of the other planet like Earth. The reason we see nothing, so this may be sort of Fermi paradox, which says if there's other civilizations, where are, why don't we see them? We should see them by now. So, yeah, we, we, at the moment, we don't know of anything else besides the Earth in terms of living um, creatures. So maybe it's because on another part of the universe, there's a whole teeming, you know, vast civilization. And we are some freak quantum blip. Yeah, we're, we're the incorrect statistical copy. Is that possible? Oh, yeah, it's totally possible, right? Again, this is what well, once you start using words like infinite, it's totally it's totally possible. But the uh, and I think one of the, the things that comes out of those sorts of, of ponderings is the question of which is the right one. Right. When we talk about things like multiple universes. Yes. Or alternate that. timelines. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> we, we always want to have one correct timeline or universe and then everything else is different in some way. Right. And so to go back to Star Trek, right. In, in the correct timeline, Spock doesn't have a beard. Right. <laughs> that's right. And then when you see that Spock has a beard. Evil. You're in, that's right. You're in some corrupted timeline, right? right? Things have gone wrong. That's right. But, you know, how do you, if, how do you decide that we're the weird copy and the other one is the normal one or we're the normal one and they're the weird copy of us? And uh, whenever you get this kind of, when you, when you think about these things like multiple universes, there's this question of which is the, the normal one, the right one. Yeah. Well, then the 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 um, this theory would also say that there is another copy of our civilization where people aren't so judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> I almost made you do a spit take. Almost, it was very close. <laughs> Drinking soda. So you're thinking like a whole civilization of of Zen monks who who don't discriminate between all different forms of reality. Right. Or I was even just thinking it's an exact copy of our world, mm-hmm. but the people aren't judgmental, you know? Yeah. And so when they see in, in their version of Star Trek, the, and they see the episode where Spock has the uh, goatee beard, instead of going, oh, evil, they all just go, hmm. Mm. <laughs> interesting. Mm. They, they're more like Spock. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would be very. They would be more fair-minded. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that would be an interesting kind of civilization to imagine generally, because if you're willing to accept that there's no difference between Spock with a beard and Spock without a beard, presumably you'd have that same kind of non-judgment with other people or social norms, right? So, so wearing pants would be no different than not wearing pants, right? 
<laughs> because science tells us. Science tells us. That's right. Science tells us that there's an infinite number of universes where people wear pants and an infinite number where people don't wear pants. So we shouldn't get attached to the fact that we live in one with pants. <laughs> there is a pantsless earth. <laughs> where Leonard Nimoy has a beard. Yeah. He's yeah. just sitting around pantsless. They're all bearded, but they have no pants. Mm-hmm. And is the temperature a little bit warmer? Uh, I don't see why not. <laughs> well, I say that right, there, there are some versions of that universe where it is a little bit warmer and everybody's comfortable. But there's also versions of the universe where it's a little or it's a little colder and everybody's constantly complaining about how cold their legs are. But no one has invented pants. Right. <laughs> no one, oh, excuse me. No one has invented <laughs> pants. <laughs> That's the real shocker. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what, yeah, what Paleolithic hominid first invented pants, but in that universe, they got killed by a saber-toothed tiger or something. Right. Or, or the people are so fair-minded. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's right. Actually, they're so fair-minded that they aren't, they don't have jealousy mm-hmm. or anything. Like, so like suddenly somebody puts on pants. And the rest of the people, rather than say, wow, that's a good idea, or I got to get me some of them pants, mm-hmm. they're just like, cool, that guy has pants. Like, that's, he, you know, that's why he's, he's, the, he's the village uh, pant guy. That's right. That's the thing that some people do. That's right. They, some people wear pants. That's right. Yeah. So this is something I actually encounter with my students sometimes is when, when we're kind of really trying to grapple with what infinity means in either a spatial or temporal or numerical sense is we start hitting these sorts of questions pretty quick, which is what's, uh, why are we the way we are and not some other way? Because when the numbers get big, it's, it's not hard to imagine the pantsless universe. So then the question becomes, why do, why are we in a pantsed universe? <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so the and and people tend to want to answer those questions. That's a why question, right? So you want you want to give a, a teleological answer. The the reason we're in a pantsed universe is because X. And those questions, those kinds of questions, are hard to answer without higher powers or divinities. Also. We are feeble-minded. I mean, we may have Einstein and all that, but there aren't that many of those guys. Also, you figure pants could be much. There could be much more variety in leg protection. Surely, yeah. Than just now. Okay, we do have skirts. Mm-hmm. Yep, and togas and hakama and right. So if you go around the world, there's there's some different options. But yeah. still. You know, maybe it's because our technology is so crude that all we had were like first animal skins and then I guess fabrics. Right. But when we get more interesting materials, you could have completely different things. Well, long johns, for instance. Yep, long johns are highly advanced. Leggings or uh, spray on pants. That's right. But thinking about the pantsless planet, I think that what might happen is that as even minded as they are, Survival is still something you got to deal with. Mm -hmm. And if part of this planet is cold, 
and part of it is warm, the cold people, rather than invent pants, will simply invade the warm territories. <laughs> and there will be naked, you know, naked on naked violence. Uh huh. Yeah, I think I saw that website once. And then vita.edu. No doubt. That's. <laughs> The Committee to Eradicate Naked-on-Naked Naked Violence. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I think this is this is an important consideration in these these infinity discussions, is you can say that that not every universe, or not every possible universe or planet or society is equal because there are constraining factors like thermodynamics. Right. So if, if we accept that we're warm-blooded creatures and some parts of our planet are colder than others, any planet that fulfills that extremely broad criterion is going to get something like pants. Right. right? Something so, like so, that. That's right. That's right. So that in that case, you that, that's a pushback against the, the complete equanimity people in which you know, the people who don't care whether you're wearing pants or not and then, and then the the rogue thermodynamicist comes through and says, "No, it really does matter if you wear pants, right? There, there are basic laws of the universe that mean people are going to want to uh, warm-blooded critters, if they have that ability, will cover their legs." It's the tyranny of the uh, pants-loving physicists. <laughs> That's right. It's it's purely ideological. That's right. Forcing everyone to wear pants. You know, this is a big issue in say evolutionary biology. Right. So so you get similar evolutionary structures, you know, like the eye evolves multiple times. So some scientists, evolutionary biologists stress that evolution is totally random. And, if, you know, the usual mental image is if you rewound the film of evolution on Earth and then played it again, would you get the same sort of structures? And some people say no, it's it's total. It's a total fluke, right? You, there's there's no guarantee you're going to get an organism that can wear pants. Again, an eye, for instance, a, just an eye creature. The pants would be terrible for the eye. That would creature. be really weird, right? To just <laughs> hang a pair of pants on an eyeball, yeah. and then he would lose the ability to be. You know, he just couldn't be himself. <laughs> <laughs> He couldn't do his thing, which is C, because he's covered by pants. But then other folks would say, look, legs are such a good adaptation that somebody's going to evolve them. And then once you evolve them, if you can manipulate fabrics, you're going to make pants. But I should say it's not, I don't know how you would, uh, you know, run an experiment between those two views of reality <laughs> there is a reality show isn't there called naked survivors <laughs> oh that's right yeah that would pretty much there it is oh, that's right that would solve it yeah right fail there. epic fail yeah so you know it's the question is is uh is are the particulars of our existence constrained by these uh, by natural laws or forces the brain interesting getting back to the boltzmann's brain so my first thought was, well, the Boltzmann brain uh, appears in space, and because it's made of flesh, it explodes. <laughs> That's right. It dies horribly. 
or freezes, shrinks, shatters. And the uh, even cooler image is this area of the universe that was infested with Boltzmann brain. Just a massive, you know, let's say a galaxy, the galaxy, Boltzmann brain galaxy. Boom, pops into, or just like, it's not even a galaxy. It's just like a a pile of huge, this crazy mound. And then they all explode at the same time because they were formed at the same time. But given the infinity idea, infinite probability idea, it could be that it's not really made of flesh. Something, you know, it's some, maybe it's electronic. Oh, sure. Or it's yeah. just a different, mm-hmm. you know, or bronze or something. But, but more, yes, it, it still works, but it's made of some hardened material. That thing then becomes, that's like a gigantic evolutionary leap. And, you know, you know, you have this enormous galaxy-sized brain. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> came in, like, the, you know, the Borg, except it's one thing. Yep. So we see no evidence of that happening yet. That's correct, yeah. So on one hand, you'd say that's a good reason to not believe that kind of reasoning, right? Because we see no giant bronze brains out there. But again, weirdly, you can calculate how how light, how long you have to wait before you see a giant bronze brain. So then we say, for the same reasons you haven't won the lottery yet, you shouldn't be surprised that there's no bronze brain out there. You just explained why people believe so many crazy things. <laughs> <laughs> how do you convince somebody that that's not the case, right? So you tell them, look, you've been buying lottery tickets for 60 years and you've never won anything. You're never going to win the lottery. I'm overdue. That's right. <laughs> we are overdue for a giant bronze For a giant bronze brain. brain. Yeah, that's right. And that's, uh, that's probably right. But... You know, the, the, the whole kind of superstructure of ideas and concepts and natural laws and mathematical tools that, that allow you to say things like we're overdue for a giant bronze brain, you know, it lets us do amazing things like Skype and podcasts. But when the, the consequences get really absurd, how confident are you uh, that right. it's still right? Yeah. Right. Like if we had to wait, like we can do this because... The elect- electrons that make the computer work by tunneling back and forth do it frequently. There's enough of them, which is a huge amount. They do it frequently enough, and we have just enough ability to control them that it all works. But the rarity of, say, even just two of them do- tunneling at the exact same time would be much more rare. Yeah. A whole bunch of them doing it at the exact same time to the exact same place in the exact same position. Incredibly rare, right? And then imagine however many electrons are in the bronze brain that's the size of the Milky Way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, the numbers got forbidding pretty fast, but they're still not zero <laughs> is what it, what it comes down to. This is why children will always win. Oh, totally. Yeah. No question. Yeah. So. No, I did not steal that cookie. It tunneled out of the jar. It tunneled, that's right. <laughs> so it's not impossible that it quantum tunneled out of the jar. 
And you have to admit that's true, right? That's right. That's right. But it quantum tunneled right to your hand. That's right. That's kind Therefore, of Therefore, you're guilty anyway. You were just... But, yeah. <laughs> the quantum tunnel rule of uh, bedtime. Yeah, as far as I know, there have been no successful criminal defenses based on quantum mechanics. But given the odds... It's, that's right. There is a planet somewhere where someone has gotten off of their murder rap based on quantum mechanics. That's right. Actually, if there's an area of the universe where, again, given this ridiculous pos- infinite possibility uh, concept, there is an area of the universe where quantum tunneling not just happened once, but for some reason happens all the time. Darned it, I got tunneled again. Tunneled <laughs> Also in that universe, you can tunnel through traffic. Oh, right. Oh, right. Which might be kind of nice. That's true. That's true. And again, the accidents would be horrific. The accidents would be horrific. <laughs> because you're, oh, my car materialized inside the other car. It didn't continue. It didn't leap properly. Um, yeah, I'd like to be on that jury. <laughs> <laughs> how much of it was um, your fault and how much of it was just, you know, bad tunneling? Yeah, that would be yeah, that would be a formidable place to run a criminal justice system. <laughs> All right, I'm going to leave it there. Righto. Everything blowing up. Let's, uh, let's leave on a happier note. I want to imagine the big bronze brain coming back. Big bronze brain popping into existence. Popping into existence, landing in Central Park. Yep. And somebody, somebody checking off their list. They're like, finally. Yep. There's and that brain. These kids come up and they graffiti it. Oh, that sounds almost yes. Boom. <laughs> Normality is restored. Welcome to New York. Exactly. Exactly. I want to say howdy to all our listeners out there. If you guys are enjoying this, let us know. You know, go to our website so you can email us suggestions and spin their ideas out wildly as well. Okay, that's right. All right. Go for this. Have an awesome week, Mike. Uh, Mike. See, in an infinite universe, you are Mike. (laughs) Yes, that's right. I get Mark a lot, too, actually. Ah, you are Mark. And I am Pill. Pill. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Matthew. Professor Matthew. We will talk to you later. Cheers. Farewell. Adieu.